All right, good news. Now is the time for the leader to qualify. Um, and okay, great. I'm Josh. I'm a compulsive leader, and I have pictures to prove it. So I will send those around right now. There you go. And my absence date, June 29th of last year, celebrated 13 years of abstinence one day at a time. Which is fitting since we're now in the place where I was bar mitzvahed um, <laughs> at 13. And um, my top weight was 260 pounds. And it is very much a, you know, not me, it's God. And that's it. It's one day at a time, and it's God. I could not do this on my own. I don't remember a time where I wasn't a compulsive overeater. I was always heavier growing up. Um, my favorite story to tell is when I was eight years old, we were going on a car trip with my friend and my friend's dad. And I got all excited for this car trip, because so I went to my parents' pantry, which had all these goodies, packed up two grocery bags worth of food, still remember exactly what was in those bags, like really good stuff, um, got into my um, friend's um, dad's car, sitting in the back seat with my food, excited for the road trip, hour and a half road trip. Um, <laughs> my friend's dad turns to the back seat and says, Josh, there's no eating in my car. And I still remember the resentment, the fear, how was I going to get through that car trip without the food? Um, I'd get home from school, right? in elementary school and my mom is an incredible cook um, and so my first question to her would always be what's for dinner and most of the time it would be something great and that would mean I was great and everything was great but believe it or not sometimes my mom would make something for dinner that Josh wasn't in the mood for that I didn't want and that would completely ruin my night I still remember nights where they were making specific dinners where I was just so upset and angry and couldn't believe that I was being deprived of a good dinner. Um, and it was never a lack of food. There was still, I was still eating. I was still you know, being fed. But it was still not having what I wanted to eat when I wanted it. Because that's all I cared about. I didn't care about anything else. And um, growing up, you know, I was made fun of a lot. For being overweight, sports were always pretty difficult for me. I was much better at chess than I was at soccer. Um, and, you know, it was, it was hard for me to, um, you know, um, you know um, feel you know, confident and, and do that stuff. And was, you know, very vulnerable. And I you know, remember, you know, they'd do the laps and it would be so hard because they'd be lapping me and I could barely run and I'd be walking and... You know, they'd make you run the mile at school, and it would just take me, like, twice as long as other people, and there'd be, like, one or two people maybe that are, like, kind of behind with me. And um, it's, um, and then I got to um, high school, and it got, when I got my driver's license, it got really bad um, with the food. And, um, you know, I had some advice that if I laughed with people, because, you know, when I was being made fun of, that they wouldn't want to make fun of me as much if I was making fun of myself first, then they wouldn't want to make fun of me. So I would do a lot of that, and I became like the sort of fat, jovial, funny guy, and that sort of worked um, in terms of um, people thinking I was funny and sort of more popular, but it was also, you know, a, kind of a way for me to justify to keep doing what I wanted to be doing with the food. And um, I remember in high school, I went to, you know, a great school, and I said, oh, you know, Josh, what do you want to do for a career? 
you know, that was one of the questions that they posed at a young age. And I went home and uh, my parents had, you know, I, t- I told them that they had asked me this at school and they had great advice. They said, Josh, if you do something that you love, it won't feel like a job. You'll be excited. You won't, you know, um, you'll be excited to go to work every day and you won't, um, it won't feel like, you know, a burden or a job. And I was thinking about it and thinking about it. And then I came up with it and I was going to be a food critic. That was the plan because that way I could get paid to eat. It was, it was brilliant. Um, of course, I, there were some issues. I wasn't very critical, right? Um, and, and then, you know, it was like I cared about, like, it was like I'd be like, oh, the portion sizes aren't good here, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess, you know, normal eaters don't tend to, you know, care as much about that as, um, as the people in this room. But um, it's, you know, it, but in all seriousness, like, I, I, I literally went on a college interview where I was telling them, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is my, this is my path. Um, this is my dream. And I thought that that was it. I thought that if I could get paid to eat, then that was it. I had it made. What else did I need? And thank God today that that, that wasn't my path. Um, and I am grateful because I do have a job today that, for the most part, doesn't feel like a job. Um, and I know, you know it's a bit of an outside issue, but it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with what I'm doing, but it has to do with um, it really has more to do with this program. Um, being able to um, accept life and work uh, on life's terms, um, and being able to bring my higher power in and this program in, um, has made it that I do have a life beyond my wildest dreams, that stuff does not feel like work, that, that for the most part, um, and not always, of course, but for the most part, I can say that I'm happy, joyous, and free. Um, and that really is a miracle, this program. Because before program, I would have told you that I was happy, um, but it was all about the food. I mean, I'd literally be sitting there eating lunch and thinking, okay, what's my next meal? Like, that would be it. And then I'd have that joy um, during that brief moment during food. And when I got to college, it got really bad with the food. Um, It was the all-you-could-eat dorm stuff. Um, I would go to the, you know, the they would start serving dinner at 5 o'clock. I'd get there early. I would eat you know, all this, all you could eat food. And then I'd go to the drive-thru, um, usually, you know, at midnight or whatever. Um, and I'd get double portions of food at the drive-thru. Oftentimes I would get to the 24 hour donut shop. And even oftentimes I would go back to the drive-thru at three or four in the morning to the 24 hour drive-thru, um, and get double portions again. And that, and that's what it was like. Um, if it was greasy, if it was deep fried, if it was cheap, I was interested. Um, because it would numb me out. It would get the job done. Um, and if it wasn't, I really couldn't be bothered. Like I needed, I like to have meals that would really, um, you know, get me to that sort of elevated state. And it's like here I was with people experimenting with, you know, drugs and alcohol in college, and all I cared about was the food. And so one of the things that I um, did was I felt like if someone was there with me that it was okay. So I would always bring people with me to the drive-thru because I thought if someone else saw what I was doing, then I wasn't doing anything bad. And that was hard to do because, um, you know, the same person that would come with me at 11 or midnight wouldn't want to come at 3 in the morning. So I'd have to find, you know, different people. Um, and but I did it, you know, I would figure it out. And it wasn't until I got in a program that I could actually sit and comfortably eat a meal by myself and feel OK about that. Um, so and I would literally be 
I would eat to the point where I would be in physical pain um, and I would be, oftentimes I would have diarrhea and I would be sitting on the toilet saying to myself, Josh, you can't eat like this. You can't, you can't keep doing this. And then, you know, 45 minutes later, hour and a half later, um, when I was physically able to eat again. Not when I was hungry, but when I was physically able to eat again, I was eating. Um, and that's what it was like. Um, and what, what happened? So um, my father, who some of you know, um, he um, is celebrating 18 years of abstinence, just celebrated 18 years of abstinence. And um, I had seen him um, growing up, um, going sort of up and down um, with his weight, with different diets, different exercise stuff, different, different stuff. And, um, and then he found Overeaters Anonymous 18 years ago and something was different. He was staying with it a lot longer than anything else. And he had what I now understand to be a sort of sense of serenity and peace around the food um, that he didn't have before. And I was going into my, um, going into my junior year of college, it was the summer, and I started doing exercise for the first time in years. I hadn't done any exercise. Like I, exercise is the whole thing I'll probably end up talking about later on. Um, and, um, it, um, and I thought, okay, do I want to take a look at this food thing? And um, I asked my dad about Overeaters Anonymous. And instead of giving me the literature, like this OA 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, or giving me the big book, or giving me a pamphlet, he brought me to my first meeting. And we went to the Serenity Sunday meeting at Roxbury Park. They have a newcomer meeting at 10 a.m., which they still have going. And they had the main meeting at 10.30. That's still my home meeting today. Um, we'll be there tomorrow. Um, we'll see many of you there. And um, the... Um, got to the newcomer meeting and then got to the main meeting. And I heard this guy um, who brought out this huge belt buckle and it went around his waist that showed where it was compared to where it is now. He had lost well over 100 pounds. Um, he'd been maintaining the weight loss for years. I'd never heard of that. And then he started talking about this disease and the food. And I'd never heard anyone talk about it like that. Like I was like, that's me, that's me. Then he started talking about higher power. I didn't understand why, um, but I was, you know, it was still, I could completely relate. And after the meeting, guy came up to me. He was a little bit younger than I am now. Um, and he was totally normal weight. And he said, Josh, I used to be over 400 pounds. Here's my number. So, of course, I was intrigued and I called him. And he said, Josh, the best... Um, advice I can give you is um, go to six meetings because if you go to enough meetings you might even hear your story and it was by my third or fourth meeting that I knew that I was willing to go to any lengths to get what you guys have um, and I have heard my story in this room on countless countless occasions um, from people who on the outside we might have little to nothing in common. Um, we might be different um, from different countries. We might be different cultures, different religions, different um, politics, um, different race, different gender. A everything could be, you know, you wouldn't think on the outside that these would be people that I would end up 
um, relating to more than oftentimes my own family. Um, because you guys understand the, the feelings. You guys understand what it's like to have this threefold disease. And it is a threefold disease. Um, it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. And the physical was kind of easy for me to see because I was overweight and I couldn't stop eating. Um, and the, but the emotional and the spiritual, I didn't realize I had an emotional disease. I didn't realize I had a spiritual disease. Um, I, I had all these relationships with people, right? I would have said that I was happy before program. But emotionally, I didn't have real relationships. I couldn't really be Josh and really connect with people until I got into this program. Um, I couldn't have a real intimate relationship before I came into this program. Um, and um, spiritual. I have a spiritual disease. I have a God-sized hole. And I was trying to stuff it down with food. And there wasn't enough food. There wasn't enough food out there to ever stuff it down. Um, I tried. And, but there is, but my higher power can fill that void today when I remember to let my higher power in. And, you know, it's like um, my, my bar mitzvah, right? We talked about that earlier. Um, the, um, I remember with my bar mitzvah, I got all excited and we went and picked out all the food. And I can still tell you what we served. And it was really fun to do the tasting and the bar mitzvah itself. And that was like what I remember planning for it. Well, then um, I got married in this program. And, you know, I don't eat dessert today. I just don't. For me... I have a physical allergy. When I start, I can't stop. I, it's, you know, one is too many, too many is never enough. And um, so I didn't have wedding cake at my wedding. And it was totally fine and not a big deal and amazing and beautiful. Um, and what was really incredible was to be able to get married and then connect with my wife on all three levels that I couldn't connect with people before. Connect with her on a physical level connect with her on an emotional level and to connect with her on a spiritual level. And today I can still connect with her on those three levels. And that really is a miracle of this program because I have a void. I have this disease when it comes to all three. Um, so I got to that first meeting at Roxbury and then um, was having a little bit of a hard time finding a sponsor, was trying to figure out absence of sort of, you know, getting my food cleaner and was having a hard time finding a guy to sponsor me. At the time when I came in, 13 and a half years ago, or uh, a little more, um, there were, I think, even less guys in, in the program than there are now. And so I went to this men's stag meeting, which I was actually at this week, um, and um, I, um, raised, I got there um, for a sponsor. And the entire meeting went through and they didn't announce sponsors. So I'm like, okay, great. Um, but after the prayer, I just announced the group. I said, hey, like, I'm kind of new in the program. I'm looking, I, I haven't been able to find a guy to sponsor me. Can someone sponsor me? Three guys came up to me after that meeting and gave me their numbers. And that's where I got my first sponsor. And started going through um, Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous with him, started working the steps. Um, the other thing I did was um, with him to find my abstinence in my food plan. Um, that, for me was really important um, that I do with another person. So now, um, when I sponsor people, one of the first things that I do with my sponsees is figure out their, um, their absence and their food plan. 
and the my uh, people that I sponsor and my sponsor, it's it's there. It's different for them than it is for me. Like it's really um, individualized to what their past behaviors are. And for me, my experience is uh, my food plan absence has to do with my past behaviors. There are certain foods that for me, you know, are a trigger that may not be a trigger for other people. Um, and that's fine. It's just that's what I used to do. You know, I would go to the movies and eat too large blank and because there's a free refill. So I didn't understand why you wouldn't do that. So that doesn't work for me today. Um, and so um, for me, what was the most important thing was to define it in a way that um, had to do with my past behaviors and in a way where my sponsor knew whether or not I was absent. So that way I know when I'm absent and my sponsor knows. And I do the same thing um, with my sponsees. And my absence has to do with how much I eat um, in a day. And then my food plan I have broken down into the three, three categories, red light, yellow light, green light. Um, the red light are the foods sort of like it talks about with um, alcohol and the doctor's opinion where I have a physical allergy or when I start, I can't stop. Uh, the yellow light are the foods where I have to be kind of careful. Um, and sometimes, you know, um, they can you know, move over or if they, if they come up a lot. I have to really take an honest look at that. And the green light foods are the really exciting ones. They're usually the healthier choices that don't tend to be um, an issue for me. Um, so that's how um, I have it. And that's, that's worked. And for the most part, it's pretty much been the same um, since I um, came into program. Um, so is that, I have five minutes. So... What, um, what happened? So got, got a sponsor. I remember I was um, all worried about seven months into program. Um, first, I had to go out to college, which was an hour away, and get a home meeting out there. And they didn't have nearly as many meetings um, out there as they did in, in L.A., but they did have some and did that. And at some point, ended up being, I think, secretary of that meeting and doing service there um, during college. But then I was going to be studying abroad in Australia, and I got really worried. I remember pitching at a meeting about it and a guy came with me after and gave me all these OA tapes that I could bring with me. Uh, this was before all the podcasts um, to Australia. And I remember having this cassette player and playing all these tapes from these cruises and you know, different conventions and stuff. It was amazing. Um, but then when I got there, I looked up and found the meeting um, out there and there was a meeting that I could get to and I had to take you know, a train and take about an hour with the train and the walking to get there. And I went there every Saturday um, and I got a sponsor there, and God bless her. She took me through step six and seven. Um, and I called her every day um, and, um, and was able to, one day at a time, stay absent on this four-month trip that I was you know, so worried about. Um, and then later on, um, my wife and I did a big trip for um, six weeks where we had gone to um, Thailand and China. And I found an OA meeting in Bangkok which was amazing. It was in English and got to this meeting and they were reading, you know, from the way 12 and 12 and so on. And um, it was a lot of, um, you know, Americans that had moved out there and started this meeting. And they were actually at the time, and this was in um, 2008, they were at the time um, translating the OA 12 and 12 into Thai, which was amazing. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's what I needed, needed need to get to meetings. And, um, and then in China, they didn't have OA meetings, so I went to an AA meeting that they had in English and was able to, to hear the message. Um, so, um, trying to think of what, 
I want to say. I mean, I. So th- this week I had spoken at um, at the the men's SAG meeting as I alluded to earlier, and one of the things that has that I've been struggling with lately and even in program has been exercise. Exercise has been really difficult for me to be on any sort of regimen, and I shared about it at the meeting and asked people to you know, share with me experience. After the meeting, again, three guys from that meeting came up to me um, and shared with me their experience, strength, and hope with exercise, um, which was incredible. Um, different tricks and different stuff that they've done. And the, um, the next day, my sponsor, who very rarely will, um, will do this kind of stuff, asked me, oh, Josh, how's your exercise going? I was like, funny you should ask. <laughs> I was actually talking about it at the meeting last night, and then we had a whole conversation about it. And then the other thing that for about the last year and a half, I've actually I've been in therapy, and one of the things that I've been talking about more than anything has been exercise and uncovering all this stuff around that um, that I had no idea um, was there. And of course, you know, I get there, and it was um, yesterday morning. Or yesterday morning, I got there. And he had gotten me a gift, which was a book all about, you know, um, exercise and motivation, and, you know, and all this stuff. He's like, I want you to, you know, take a look at this. So it's like the, I know I've been thinking about it and talking about it for a while, but I feel like um, it's God. I feel like, the universe, you know, the God is, is telling me that it's time and that I'm ready and that I'm, I'm finally ready to, you know, um, actually commit to it in the way that I, um, commit my food every day in the way that I, you know, have a sponsor um, for the stuff that I, you know, maybe that I need to get a sponsor for this. And I know um, it's sort of an outside issue, but it's for me, it's very related because so much of it had to do with the weight and being made fun of um, from when I was younger and, the, you know, physically moving and so on. So um, and I know um, some of you can relate. And the truth is, it's like I need to do it with people and talk about it with people that understand this disease and understand the feelings um, of um, not, you know, of intellectually understanding, okay, I'm not supposed to eat a whole pizza, but that's what I would do. And yes, I know I I should exercise because it's good for me. It's going to put years on my life, but I don't, you know, and it's exactly the same for me. Um, It's the same, you know, crazy thinking. So um, I just wanted to get that out there, and it looks like my time is up. Dad, thank you for asking me to share. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself if being recorded. Um, Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible in the OA podcast. Um, okay. Anybody have any questions? Yeah, Casey. Um, for, for, okay, so the question is, 
um, how do you go from slipping and sliding to having some days that are clean and some days that aren't to having a lot of days in a row that are clean? Is that basically it? All right. Um, so for me, it's one day at a time. If I'm thinking about the fact that I've been abstaining for the last 13 years from X, Y, and Z, that makes me want to go eat that. Um, if I think about the fact that I may go the rest of my life without eating certain foods or, whatever, or certain behaviors, that makes me want to go out and eat. But if I focus on today, I got a chance. But it's not just today. I, I have to do, still work the program. But if I can just try to get through today, then that's, that, that seems possible. Um, and it's like we make the calls when things are um, good, uh, the outreach calls. And it's, outreach calls are great because you call people and people are so happy to hear from you. Um, you can ask them questions and they'll talk. You don't even have to do that much talking. And then you feel better, you know, <laughs> and you get to talk. Um, but when you make the outreach calls when things are um, good, that way when, they, when things are slipping and so on, you're still making the calls. So, like, there'll still be those times where it's 11 o'clock and I'm driving past this drive through and I think, oh, that seems like a good idea. Um, but today, I'll make a call. And usually there's something else that's going on. It's not the, I'm looking for an outside solution rather than um, an inside one. And um, with my uh, um, sponsor, you know, I call him every day. I, he's not my first sponsor. He's probably like my fourth or fifth sponsor, but he's been by far my longest sponsor. Been working together for probably seven or eight years. And he has what I want. Um, he's got a, he's got over 30 years of absence. He has a relationship with his higher power that I want. He's very spiritual. He's got a relationship with his family that I want. He's very patient, kind, loving. He also makes more outreach calls than anyone I know in this program. He works the program that I want. And I call him every day, and it's always, well, Josh, can I share with you my experience? And that very rarely give me advice. He virtually won't ever. I'm like, yeah, of course. I've been calling every day. I want your experience. <laughs> and, um, and it's always the same. It's always, well, Josh, um, if you... Um, if I um, write about it and if I pray about it, my higher power gives me the answer. And it's actually, it's, it's, it's that simple. If I do the work and if I pray about it my high, and, and, and do, the, do the writing, um, which usually I haven't, um, my higher power will give me the answer. But for me, it's got to be one day at a time. If I focus on more than that, I get no chance. Casey. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I was intrigued that you worked step six and seven with somebody who you didn't know all mm-hmm. that well. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, those are the hardest steps, not mm-hmm. for everybody. For me, yep. those are the hardest steps. Um, how did you establish enough trust and love so quickly to do six and seven with someone you hardly know? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I had come up, obviously, with a lot of the defects of character from doing um, steps um, four and five, because um, that's where a lot of them come up, and then started going through it with them. And I still specifically remember that, you know, because I was pretty new in the program, and I put down on my um, character defects list for her, because I, I went through what I had, and then I started making my own list of what I thought it was, and I put down compulsive overeater as a defective character. And she's like, it is not a defective character. Compulsive overeating is a threefold disease. And, you know, and, and, you know, explain it. I was like, oh, you know, okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it, I, for whatever reason, um, trusted her right away 
um, with you know my life I didn't really have much of a choice I was still so fresh in the program and needed a sponsor and needed to keep going with it um, was really um, you know calling her every day calling in my food every day to her you know doing the prayer meditations in the morning like had bought brought you know the for today and all these books and I like had also like was on this program and having these and you know these intense relationships with all these other young people and there's all this you know partying and stuff and it was like before program it would have been such an excuse to isolate and just eat and um, thank God that's not even close to where I was going like instead I was you know um, going to meetings and calling this woman and 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 very clean um, with my behavior and my food um, but a big part of that was you know um, really you know getting through the list and you know I remember literally every day it was like I would and I have my sponsees do this now um, is read out of the big book the part going up from steps six through seven where it reads the seven step prayer and I would actually read that part and read and really read the, from the big book the seven step prayer and that made a really big difference because before that I would um, read through my defects of character and kind of uh, meditate on them and that was how I that, that was how I did it with her so that help. Yeah. Thank you, John. So, could you talk about um, some experiences that you've had in abstinence that brought you closer to a higher power? Did you have a higher power before? Sure. Um, so, I did have a higher power before I came into program. Um, I did believe in God, is what I choose to call my higher power. Um, but if you ask me, if I thought about God on a daily basis, I didn't. Um, and it wasn't part of my daily living or decisions by any stretch. Today, um, except for what I forget, which does happen, um, I try to bring my higher power into everything. And I've had some incredible experiences, which I would call um, God shots, which for me, there's no other explanation but for that it would be a higher power. Um, and my favorite story to tell, it's a little long, but I'll, tell, I'll try to tell it quickly, um, is I was going to, um, it was a Sunday, and my mother-in-law was being honored at this function, which is a very exciting thing. But I was pissed because it meant I couldn't go to Serenity Sunday. And as you guys know, that's a very important meeting to me. So, of course, I'm like in my head about it, and I figured out that there was this meeting in Culver City that I could go to that was earlier. And um, I ended up, um, you know, planning to go and then was running late. I think it was daylight savings and whatever. I ended up running late to this meeting. And I got to it. I was about 20 minutes late to this meeting. Um, but I got there, finally walk in, and it's this old AA room um, in Culver City. You know, they have the 12 steps, 12 traditions on the wall. Um, but I walk in. It's completely dark and empty. I'm like, okay, great. Um, so I go to the restroom. I come out. woman walks in says, are you here for the OA meeting? I said, yeah. Um, she's like, great. I was like, yeah. And she's like, I really need a meeting. I'm glad you're here. I'm like, so do I. So we read the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, and then she starts sharing, right? And at the time, I was having a lot of issues going on with my job. So what does she start sharing about? But her own job. But then she starts sharing, like, her experience, strength, and hope that's, like, right on point with, like, what I need to hear. It was like basically, for me, God talking to me, telling me what I need to know. 
So then I started sharing about my stuff and what was going on. And she shared again, you know, that I shared. And then um, we um, close with the serenity prayer. And then um, guy walks in the room. He says, hey, what are you guys doing here? You're not supposed to be here. So no, no, we're here for the for the OA meeting. And he's like, no, no, this that OA meeting hasn't been here for like over a month. It moved. <laughs> and it was still on the website for the other um, address. So... Had I not had this brunch, I didn't want to go to, right? Had I not, for whatever reason, felt like going to this meeting I've never been to um, because of it, had I not been 20 minutes late, right, which I'm usually not, um, I wouldn't have had this experience that with this woman where we were able to both be of service to each other um, and I was able to hear the message. So for me, there's no other explanation um, but a higher power. So, and I literally had one yesterday as well. It happened to my wife. And, and as she was telling me the story, I was like, that's God. And then she said, yeah, it's a God shot. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carol. Um, so, what, we, what do you say to people who feel um, maybe spontaneous mm-hmm. or something in the program who's um, not willing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, the question is. What do you say to someone, whether it be a sponsee or someone else in program, who's not willing? I mean, I, I try to do, because before I got my current sponsor, I would give a lot more, I think, advice and that kind of stuff. Now that I have my current sponsor, I try to always come from experience, strength, and hope. I try to, like, kind of say it in a way where it's like, well, my experience is that I have to go to any lengths, you know, and then talk about X, Y, and Z, which would be going to any lengths, whether or not that mean um, planning out um, the food in a situation where it's a lot easier not to, right, um, that kind of stuff, or um, whether it be, I mean, it, it you know, um, getting to a meeting when it's not convenient to, or doing a, you know, phone meeting, or um, and, and, and so on, but I always try to, sh- you know, talk about it stuff in terms of my experience, and that's what my sponsor always instills on me. It's like I can't tell my sponsees that they should be that it's that it's important to work the steps if I'm not doing it myself. You know, I can't share my experience if I'm not actually if that's not actually my experience. And he's always, um, you know, reminded me um, of that. So it's like when I want to tell someone, just do it like that, you know, just do this. It. Um, it's not it it's it's not it's not that and it's it's hard because um, you know in the beginning especially I would you know get down on myself when I would have sponsees that would either stop calling or wouldn't get it and I would think it was me and it was my fault um, and that kind of stuff and it's like the story with Bill W in the beginning when he couldn't get anyone sober right and his wife turns to him he's like I can't get anyone sober like I don't know what to do and his wife turns to him like well are you sober he's like well yeah and well then it's working. Um, and sometimes it's just that um, it, that sometimes has to be the takeaway because often you know obviously I'm powerless over people just like I am with the food. So, I think oh wait five minutes okay perfect yeah please. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so growing up, you had a parent who was like almost over mm-hmm. So kind of, and I'm sorry, you said like what age did you kind of find out about it? And you said you mentioned to your father about it. Yeah. Did you ever approach? Like how did it? How did it? Okay. So my question was like sort of I had a, I have a parent that's in OA. Like how did it organically come up? I knew that he was in OA, 
Um, but he never really, and, and obviously, uh, I would imagine he knew that I was a compulsive reader. It was pretty obvious. Um, but, um, you know, they would sort of talk to me and encourage me to do healthier stuff. I was still relatively young when I came in. I came in at 19 years old. Um, but still, I mean, there were a lot of years of me sitting there doing it. And I can actually see it right now with my um, seven-year-old nephew. I can see me. Literally, I can see it's me. Like, that's what, what, he's, what he's going through in terms of with the, with the food and all that stuff. And it's... I, I can only imagine... And that's I'm the uncle. And I can only imagine what that's like as a parent. Um, and... He, um, he didn't tell me, oh, you should go to OA. It was, it was when I asked him about OA that he brought me to OA. And I'm really grateful for that because I don't know that had I even gone a week earlier that I would have been ready. Um, so much of this with the program, and, the, and that kind of goes into Terrell's question too, with the willingness, is, 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 is being ready. Um, and I finally feel like right now, 13 years into absence, and I'm ready to like take an honest look at exercise. I mean, it's like ready. Um, it's not always over um, overnight with this stuff, but you know, it's you know, it's also you know, you know, with that stuff too. Like even with my nephew and other people, it's like that's like an Al-Anon, Oanon kind of stuff too. Um, so, yeah. I don't even, I think I answered the question. Yep. Yeah, um, you know, this is my fifth or sixth meeting, and I'm lucky enough to have a great sponsor, but I, I just can't connect with a higher power. Um, I mean, uh, he's, he's great, he's trying, mm-hmm. but I just can't, you know, every day I, I forget to pray, and I have no connection, and I don't mm-hmm. know how to find it. Okay, so the question was, I'm new in the program, and I'm having a hard time connecting with my higher power. Um... Well, I would say if it's your fifth or sixth meeting, there's a good chance you might still be on step one. I don't know if that's the case. Um, but um, if that is the case, the good news is you don't have to worry about it until the next step. <laughs> um, but if it's not, if it's not the case, um, obviously I'm happy to talk about step two and step three, which is where this stuff comes up um, in terms of higher power. I mean, it's some people it comes more naturally for um, than others in some ways, but it's also, it talks about in this book, literally, it talks a lot about religious people having a harder time with step two and three than atheists oftentimes. That can happen. And there's literally a chapter in the big book called We Agnostics. Um, it, it doesn't have to be God. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It can be, it just has to be a power greater than Josh. That's all it has to be. It just has to be a higher power. It just, the, the, the key with a higher power is that it has to not be me. I mean, that's it. I've heard people say the group is their higher power. I've heard people say a doorknob is their higher power. I've heard people say the ocean is their higher power. My favorite one was from Australia. This woman was sharing about being in an AA meeting, and the guy's higher power was a train. And it was a train on the street next to all of the bars. And it was amazing because this train could go past the bars without stopping. So that was a higher power. That was a power greater than him. So take that train, put it next to this fast food place and this drive through And yeah, that would be a higher power because before program, I would stop. Um, and so um, the important thing is, is, is believing in something. Um, at least that's my experience. 
and um, you know, doing whatever it takes to just at least seek that connection. Even if you don't, even if I don't feel like I'm getting um, that connection, um, the important thing is to seek it. And um, and I'll leave with this because my dad says it all the time. And I know he got it from somewhere else, which is God has three answers or higher power. Yes. Yes, but not now. And no, I have something better. And that has been my experience. Um, where sometimes my higher power can say yes. Or sometimes my higher power will say um, no, but then later on it will come up. And oftentimes it, something won't happen and I'll be really upset and I won't understand why. Right? Like the fact that my mother-in-law has this wonderful brunch where they're honoring her and I have to miss my meeting. Um, but then my higher power has something better in store for me. Um, So looks like time's up. Thank you.